0: Uh, From time to time, uh, God prompts us and we just kind of know that we need to have a mountain uh, family chat. And today is one of those days um, because there is pain in our church family. There is strain and hurt in our body and uh, we need to talk about it. By now, I hope that you have learned that we shared the news this past week that we've had to make the difficult decision to close our school at the end of this school year. Hopefully you've signed up for Ben's notes. And uh, if you have, then you saw there was a letter that went out. there's There's a letter posted on the website if you want to read more about that. But it's been just a very difficult week for a lot of people in this community for a lot of different reasons. It's been a very rough week. The Bible says that we're not just a sort of random collection of people. We're a body, and when one part of the body suffers, we all suffer with it, kind of together. So there's definitely been that ripple effect, and we want to honor that today as we come together as the news of the closing of Mountain Christian School has sunk in. And as a pastor, I recognize grief when I see it. Uh, Grief is being experienced very intently in our church family, in this community. A lot of grief over the profound sense of loss, sadness over the news. I'm feeling a good bit of that myself, personally. Um, Maybe first and foremost, because the school has had such a huge impact on our family and on her children. And we loved it so much, and we didn't want to close the school. So there's grief everywhere uh, from families who are there now, whose kids are having such a rich experience and are thriving there and feeling safe and loving it because the school has provided something important for their family. There's grief for the changes that this will bring, unwelcome to so many families. Um, there's grief for our staff. Um, even though we've done our best to provide you know, the kind of severance that will help them, it just still means they're losing something dear to them and uh, have to find new employment. And some, even in their grief, are responding in ways that are probably just bringing more grief to themselves and others around them. So the scriptures say that when one member suffers, we all suffer with it. The scriptures also say in Galatians 6 that we can bear one another's burdens so that if someone's going through something in our body, somehow we can help share and lighten that load. And we want to do that even by what we're doing now. Some of you might be like, you know, it's not really my deal. I'm not part of the school. You know, I'm sorry about all that. But I'm just here to say this is all of our deal. Okay? It's all of our deal. And I want to appeal to the whole church And to every one of you, to rise up to be your best self, the best version of the Jesus-filled self you are capable of being in this time. To let the Spirit of God and His agenda fill your life and heart so that the way we act and the way we respond is a growth moment and a good moment. This is an important moment for our church. And how each of us responds is really, really important. Um. By way of understanding, I know some of you are just coming into this news, it's a difficult decision that the elders of the church have had to make. But in all things, the elders are driven and guided by a steady fact that Mountain is and always will be a mission-driven church. That means that our overall mission of reaching people and making disciples as an entire church with all of our ministries working together, is always our chief consideration in in leading. So that's above any personal preferences, above any single ministry, above any single person or group of people. It's always, always, always about the overarching mission. We're not a member-driven church. We're not a me-driven church or a you-driven church. We're a mission-driven church. And that provides us with clarity. It helps, but it also immediately And very often requires extremely difficult decisions. Agonizingly tough decisions are necessary from time to time to be sure that we're being as faithful as we know how to be with the finite and limited resources that God has entrusted us with to be sure that we're pouring those into the ministries that God is leading us to do uh, at any given time. And that's what's made this school decision so painful is that for 40 years we've seen firsthand, 40 years, the powerful impact of the school and its continued impact on the lives of so many. So you have this thing that you love and value and that you're personally tied to and would be heartsick about seeing it go, and which you know is still benefiting those who are there. And yet you have this reality staring you in the face that even though we love the school and know it's valuable for those who are still part of it, nothing that we're doing through consistent hard work by good people over a long period of time was doing really anything to slow the hemorrhage of enrollment, a steady downward decline over a seven-year period, and nothing we were able to do was successful in turning that ministry to a place where it would be sustainable on an ongoing year in year out basis. I think it's made all the more difficult because Mountain as a church is thriving, we're growing, we have ministries here that are booming, you all know that. So you kind of think, well maybe if we took special offering or raised some money here or figured out some ways that would all kind of change that enrollment trend and somehow help or do something, but none of that would really address the real issue that we've lost a third of our student body, and despite heroic and long-term efforts, we haven't reversed that downward decline. There's no promise of it reversing. And so, faced with that decision of taking and putting significant human and financial resources into it with no rational reason to expect it would change the trajectory, and knowing that that decision could impinge on or jeopardize the overall mission of Mountain, is a decision that the elders did not feel they could make. So it's one of those very, very difficult decisions, not one that you'd make hastily or without praying long and hard about it, working on every potential solution and chasing down scenarios that you can think of. And the leaders see we we've had the advantage of living with this struggle for years behind the scenes. And even though everyone in the school has seen the decline, it's still shocking to learn and to to understand. It's easy to understand why some would be saying, well, maybe if we did some last-ditch thing or something that would maybe help, we could change the enrollment or change everything and make it viable, make it sustainable. And if we believed that that would have worked, we would have done exactly that at this point but it really would have just kicked the can further down the road and disabled us from doing it properly if it had to happen and it wouldn't have solved the root problem of providing a long-term future for the school so uh, our elders after arduous struggle and years of initiatives and after fasting and prayer saying God if there's a way show us the way they have made the decision to that we have to discontinue the ministry of Mountain Christian School, to thank God for it, to celebrate it, to cherish the 40 years that we had with it, but trusting that this is the right and best decision at this time. And I know this, if you knew the elders as I know them, you'd know beyond a shadow of a doubt how painstakingly they sweat this out and fell on their faces before God again and again through agony and prayer until they could stand confidently with the sense that they were led by God to a decision that was in the best interest of Mountain and our overall mission. I was part of that decision. And I hate it. And I have prolonged it and denied it and pushed it away And I've cried out to God many times about it. And it is clearly, easily for me, one of the most difficult decisions I've ever been a part of because I've never been more confident that something would bring so much pain to so many people and at the same time been so confident that it was the right decision that needed to be made anyway. I don't like it, but I've had more time than a lot of you to get to the place where I accept it. And I've been here before in places like this where I don't fully like something or even understand it fully, but then have, over time, come to see how God has used it in my life. And God has taken what can only at the moment feel like loss and grief and indeed show himself faithful and do something remarkable in it and through it, as the Bible says, working all things together for good. I've been so impressed with MCS families, many of whom are telling me we're crushed, we're heartbroken, we're sad about this, it's a headache for the changes, but you know what? We know God's in this. And we're trusting Him to lead us forward and to grow through this. And by golly, that's what we're going to do, is trust God to make something good out of it. I'm so impressed by that. and. It's really important that each of us, all of us, respond in ways that are God-led in a difficult time. These are the kinds of times where your character is revealed. This is the kind of time where your commitment and discipleship to Jesus is on display. Your faith matters now. So it's time to rally together, to be in unity together around our mission. It's a time to pray for those who are hurting, for those who are sad, for those who are mad and to do nothing that would keep Jesus from being the centerpiece, nothing that would cloud our vision from Him as the leader and center of all things in our lives and this church. So we all need to be in prayer. Today, throughout this week, throughout the rest of the school year, especially for everyone involved. When I met with the school kids this week, Um, I shared with them a story about how when I was young uh, my best friend moved away. And how it rocked my world when I learned the news. And uh, how sad I was and how I couldn't really imagine my life without him actually because of everything we did together. And I think that's how a lot of people are feeling with the news of the school and its closure. Just exactly like that. And my dad shared some encouragement and some advice with me that didn't just help me as a kid getting through the loss of a friend. It helps, it's helped me my whole life. And I've drawn on this wisdom and this counsel many times, and I offer it to you today. Whether the school is your chief struggle these days, or you're in some other kind of struggle, or maybe you're in good times, I don't know. But I offer this to you as a gift And I want to call us all to rally together around this encouragement and this advice. And it centers around three words. They all start with the letter T. I want to call us to these things as a gift and a challenge to you. And the first T is talk. Talk to God. When you're going through a rough time, you talk to God. It's called prayer. The Bible says, for that reason, cast your cares on him, for he cares for you. When you have cares and you cast them on someone else, usually something bad happens. Talk to God first. Draw near to him in this time. This is a praying church. Well, this is time to pray. So pray, that means you. Talk to God, see, and that helps us then to be more open and able to hear his voice. You want to hear from God, you've got to talk to God. So talk to God and you'll be able to better hear His voice and how He's going to lead you and your family and your kids and your next steps. Sometimes when we're sad or mad, we don't want to hear from God. We just want to do what we want to do. But now, more than ever, we need to talk to God so we can hear from God so that God can be the one who's driving the agenda for your steps of life. This kind of situation is fertile soil for the Spirit of God to be at work. Do you know that? Fertile soil. He loves this opportunity because when we're challenged or upset or scared or unsure, that's perfect opportunity for us to grow. You don't grow in the easy times. You grow in the struggle. And so this is fertile soil for God to be at work. So talk to God so you can hear from God and let Him grow you. This is also fertile soil for the spirit of darkness to be at work. He loves this stuff. Our spiritual enemy loves this kind of opportunity to sow seeds of division and disunity and chaos and hurt and anger and bitterness, all of that stuff. He thrives on it. And so be smart, because realize you're, this is a struggle and we're all kind of taking sides in the spiritual part of this, whatever you think of the decision. You're taking sides in a very spiritual issue. So don't be a tool used by Satan. Talk to God more than you talk to other people and you'll have a better chance of hearing God's voice so He can lead you, help you. Pray, pray, pray. Pray for the kids and their families. Pray for the teachers and staff. Pray for those who are hurting and pray for our church. Pray for yourself. Our elders are leading the way in this. They've been praying for months on this. After the decision was made, they prayed more intently. They prayed yesterday. They prayed this morning. They're praying at this moment. They will continue to pray. And I'm calling you as your pastor to join us in praying. Talk to God. The second T is thank. Which may sound weird, especially if you're going through a struggle right now. Thankfulness is hard to find sometimes. But I'm, I'm saying it's great wisdom to find gratitude find it, cling to it, and offer it back to God. My dad was as simple as a kid. He said, you know, instead of being so sad about the fact that are moving away all the time, maybe you should try to be thankful for the friendship you've had with him all these years. And that really helped me then, and it's helping me now. It's helping me and my family as we grieve this, thanking God for all that the school has meant for us. And I invite you to find the things in your life that you need to cling to and say, I may not like this, I don't understand this, and I'm not happy with that, but doggone it, praise the Lord anyway. I thank you. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for my kids. I thank you for my home, my family, and everything else you have to be thankful for. Let gratitude rise up in your heart. I find when I do that, it changes me in ways that are better for me and better for God's agenda. Talk to God, thank God, and the last T is trust God. Trust God. Proverbs says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding but in all of your ways, acknowledge Him and what He can do and who He is and He will direct your paths. So trust God that He's got you. He's at work in this situation. As you follow Jesus in this, trusting Him, you just say out oh, with me, you just say, where are you going with this? What are you gonna, I know you're going to bring something awesome out of this, but I don't see it yet. Show us. I'm waiting. I'm ready. Follow Him and He will. When we're scared, we panic. When we are trusting, we're calm and we follow and we wait and see and God shows up and indeed works all things together somehow for His purposes. So that was my dad's counsel to me. It's my, my counsel to you. Talk to God. Thank God. And trust God. You know, in American Sign Language, when you make the letter T, it looks like this. You just stick your thumb right up in the middle of your fingers and hold on tight. It's a perfect picture of where we are. How God's got us in the palm of His hand when we talk to Him. When we thank Him. And when we trust Him. God's got you. He's got this. He's got the school. He's got the parents. He's got the kids. He's got the teachers. In the palm of His hand. He's got this church. He's got you and your worries. He's got us. He's got this. And He's got a mission for us. And He's ready for us to get after it but we can't do that till we know he's got us and he's got us. Let's pray. Father God, our shepherd, please be with our church family because we're hurting and this is hard. you have led us to this point and we ask you to lead us onward. So God, give the Spirit of Jesus to this place. Shut out the ways of the devil He wants to use our pain to hurt each other or divide your body or injure your name. Help us, Lord, to talk to you, to thank you, and to trust you. Amen. I don't know about you, I could do some time with our shepherd. By God's providence, we are working our way these days through Psalm 23. And so uh, let's turn our attention there. Rob's going to bring a good word from the next couple of verses out of our psalm. So go ahead and keep watching the screen.
1: Gather for worship as a church family, one church in three locations, our Bel Air campus, our Edgewood campus, and here at Mountain Road. And unlike the funny uh, quips and the video bumper there, first world problems, the struggle has been very real for uh, many hurting staff, students and families, and also those of us in church leadership. And I know that for me personally, I am so grateful in a time like this, To have a shepherd above to lean on, Um, it's such a relief and a comfort to know that we can lean on him and he can guide us and shepherd us through it. You know, I'm also tremendously grateful uh, for the godly shepherd leaders that are entrusted by God and by us with the leadership of this faith community. Uh, They are amazing folks, and I have the greatest respect for them, and I have the greatest trust in them, and you can too. So as we turn our attention to Psalm 23 today, I just thought it would be a good thing for us to do as a faith community at all locations to just stand up together. So if you would stand with me and we're going to read this psalm together, it'll be on the screen for you. And so as we read these words as one church following one shepherd, may they be words of unity for us and may they be words of comfort for those who are hurting. And may they be a declaration against the powers of darkness that would work against us in this time. So as we read together these words about our shepherd, let's let them wash over us and wash over our entire community. Read with me. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You may be seated. Thank you. We're going to look specifically today at verses 2 and 3, and they read this way. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. So can anyone uh, use some quiet waters and refreshing green pastures in your life right now? I mean, our lives tend to be anything but quiet, peaceful, and restorative, right? Isn't that true about us? I mean, we are frequent flyers who eat fast food and drive in rush hour on expressways. I mean, just hear all of that. We send packages by Federal Express. We use cell phones by Sprint. We manage our personal finances on Quicken. We diet with SlimFast, and we swim in trunks made by Speedo. (laughs) In his book about this culture, Dr. Richard Swenson in the book Margin writes, Often used descriptors of our society include active, busy, driven, fatigued, tired, exhausted, weary, burned out, anxious, overloaded or stressed that's exhausting just to hear that he goes on to say seldom do you hear our society described as well rested we are a tired generation one for which hurry sickness has become a way of life our carburetors are set on high he writes and our gears are stuck in overdrive our lives are non-stop we have a hurry sickness in our culture you know when other cultures uh encounter us, they don't know what to make of it. You see, a lot of the cultures around the world are way more laid back, way more chill than our hurry, fast-paced, fast-paced, non-stop culture. In fact, if you go to Africa, the Swahili word that is shouted out when you walk through a community, when they see uh, our s- white skin color, because a lot of the, uh, the first folks they encountered from the West were white, I think that's why this word is used, because now the word is mazungu, which is shouted when they see a white person. But if you think about it, it's more descriptive of our Western, color, Western culture because the root word, that mazungu actually means one who runs and spins around frantically. <laughs> I think they nailed us. So we're going to do, you know, confession is good for the soul, right? And uh, we're going to do a conf- mass confession about our hurry sickness today. I'm going to share a few examples. And then if you suffer from hurry sickness along with me, Uh, I'll ask you to raise your hand, all right? Here's the first one. When you come to a stoplight and there's two lanes ahead of you and there's a car in each lane, you find yourself guessing, based on the make and model of the car, which car is going to pull away the fastest, all right? No, not yet. Some of you are in a hurry to confess your hurry. All right, second one. If you're checking out at a grocery store, you count how many people are in each line and you multiply it by how many items are in each cart and how fast the cashier seems to be checking people out. That way you know which line's going to go the quickest. And if you get out before the other person in the other line that would have been you, you feel like you won. <laughs> All right, now it's time to confess. How many of you suffer a bit from this hurry sickness? Yeah. Well, we can laugh some at that. Uh, I think partly because we know it's so true. But it's important for us to hear this truth that's difficult to hear for all of us. And that is that when we live our lives in a constant state of hurry, we cannot hear God. When we live our lives in a constant state of hurry, we cannot hear God. Listen to what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel, says to us. In repentance and rest is your salvation. And quietness and trust is your strength. Ruth Barton shares some wise counsel she once received from her spiritual director who said to her, Ruth, you are like a jar of river water, all shaken up. What you need to do is sit still long enough so that the sediment can settle and the water of your soul can become clear. So friends, is your life like a jar of river water all shaken up? Do you need to stop and be still so that things can settle and become clear in your souls? I believe our shepherd desires to lead us beside still waters so that the waters of our souls can become still. Look at these words from Psalm 46. It says, be still and know that I am God. God wants to, us to be still so that we can come to know Him, so He can do His work in us. But you know, that verse is such a struggle for us because we have a hard time being still. And if we want our shepherd to be able to do the restorative work in our lives that he can do, we need to be still. But for sheep like us, all it takes to be still is to draw close to our shepherd. Philip Keller wrote a book entitled A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, and he says that the strange thing about sheep is that they will not lie down unless they are at peace or not anxious. Keller goes on to say, I came to realize that nothing so quieted and reassured my sheep as to see me in the field. The presence of their master and protector put them at ease as nothing else could. Whenever I came into view, he says, and my presence attracted their attention, the sheep quickly forgot their foolish rivalries and stopped their fighting. You see, their shepherd's presence made all the difference in their behavior. Drawing near to our shepherd can help us be still so that he can do his work in us. Sometimes our shepherd is able to lead us to the quiet waters and do the restorative work that needs to be done. But sometimes our shepherd actually has to step in and make us lie down so that restoration can occur. In Ezekiel, God says it this way. He says, I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down. Now trust me, it is way better for the shepherd to lead you there than for things to get so bad in your life that the shepherd has to step in and make you lie down and be still. Last year was a tough year for me and for my family. Kelly and I were both serving more than full-time in ministry here at Mountain, a church we love so much. Kelly was also a full-time student at Emanuel Christian Seminary, and we were adjusting to parenting long distance as we sent one child away to college and the other to the other side of the world as a missionary. Kelly's dad had a lengthy battle with leukemia and then passed away. And with frequent trips to Cincinnati to be with him and then for his funeral, with seminary and church loads to carry here, with long-distance parenting and the the challenges that our school was facing, it was a significant load. And because of her grief with the loss of her dad and her seminary work, I tried to carry as much of the load as I could. We didn't have much space left in our lives, and we, we never found a time to have a family vacation that year. And by the time August rolled around, I knew I was in trouble. You see, I began wrestling with multiple physical symptoms. I was having intense migraines for days with numbness down the side of my face. I had insomnia and sweating and shortness of breath and pounding heart. And after a frightening night in the ER and multiple visits to doctors and to a counselor, some some clarity began to emerge. My body was responding to the physical and emotional impact of cumulative stress of long-term ministry. Now... Don't get me wrong, my life was pretty good. I I was in community with an amazing group of people here at Mountain. I have a great family. I had a regular quiet time with God and time in God's Word. I was growing as a disciple. But I had allowed the boundaries in my life to slowly get blurred. These important rhythms that were in place were shrinking under the pace and weight of my life. As Bill Hybels described one time, I was doing the work of God at a pace that was destroying the work of God in me. So near the end of August, Ben encouraged me to take some time away from my responsibilities here, to rest and to allow my body to rejuvenate, to spend some time with my shepherd and allow him to restore my soul. During this time away, I read several books, including a great book entitled Leading on Empty by Wayne Cordero, a pastor in Hawaii. And I learned through this book that long-term stress creates a depletion of the serotonin levels in your body. And you know the only thing that can build those serotonin levels back up is long-term rest. And so I intentionally pursued restorative activities to refill my tanks. As an introvert, I spent significant time alone resting and reading and reflecting I started exercising more. I spent time with family. I I participated in a couple of spiritual retreats like uh, men here at Mountain are doing this weekend. Kelly and I came across this last-minute deal and were able to go on our first cruise together. And it was a great time to rest and to experience the beauty of God's creation, to experience some still waters, mostly. I traveled to Kenya with Ben and with my daughter Kylie for some strategic planning with churches there. And since I was already on the other side of the world, I journeyed on to Italy and spent a couple of days in Rome. And then I spent five days with God in Assisi. My life had gotten to the point that the shepherd had to make me lie down for a while. But it was during this time of rest and stillness that I relearned the importance of some critical rhythms in my life. Daily, weekly, Quarterly and annually. And these rhythms are intentional insertions of space that break up the relentless metronomes of our lives. They create space for our shepherd to do his work and to restore our souls. We think about it, all of our creation is dependent on rhythms. Seasons change. Winter gives way to spring, which heats up into summer and cools into a brilliant colored fall. And then winter comes again. The moon waxes and wanes. The sun rises and sets. There is an ebb and flow to all of life. But somehow we convince ourselves that we can go full speed ahead all the time with inadequate downshifts to bring some rhythm into our life. After three decades plus of ministry, Bill Heibel says that sitting down before our God with our calendar and a submitted spirit is one of the holiest things you can do. He says, putting together a schedule is not so much about determining what you're trying to get done, it's deciding who you want to become. Most of us, we sit down with our list of responsibilities and we try to cram everything that we need to do into our schedule. But what if we were to ask, who do I want to become over time? What kind of husband? What kind of father? What kind of friend? What is it that needs to be put into my schedule so I can become that kind of person? What kind of space or rhythms need to be put into my schedule so the shepherd can do his restorative work in me? So let me encourage you today to allow the shepherd to lead you in thinking through these rhythms in your life and maybe try to put them first in place so that the rest of life doesn't keep them from ever ever being put in place. The first rhythm is to divert daily. Divert daily. And this is simply ensuring that Every day we create space to rest, to spend time with our shepherd, to read his word, to talk with him, to spend time with our friends or family or other things that fill us. Diverting daily is also figuring out and establishing and protecting healthy boundaries around our work and our rest. Maybe to help us think through our days, let me suggest a new way to think about each day. The very first chapter in the Bible tells us about God creating the rhythms of the day. In Genesis 1, we read, God said, "Let there be light," and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning, the first day. When we think of our days, I mean, when does the day start? It starts in the morning. We wake up grumpy. Sometimes she lets me sleep. Uh, we get up later than we planned. We rush around getting ready, bumping into family members and in our rushed tiredness, probably not treating our family members with the, or our, our roommates with the love we have in our heart towards them. Then we rush out the door to a full schedule and then maybe grab dinner on the run before other activities that evening or, or we crash at home and watch a few hours of escapist television before we fall into bed exhausted only to get up and do it over again the next day. But let me tell you about the Jewish understanding of the day, which all goes back to this creation account. You see, the day and the rhythms there were described this way in Scripture. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. Evening comes first, then morning. And so the Jewish day begins and ends with sundown. Imagine, what would it be like if your day began with sundown? The first thing you do is you enjoy a meal together that evening with your friends or family, celebrating all that God has given you. Then you spend a restful evening together. And as a final sign of your trust in God, you release all of the cares of the world, all of the cares in your life to God, and you allow Him to rule over it all as you sleep and rest. And then after you start your day with food, friends, family, and sleep, you wake up ready for the morning and the chance to use your gifts to serve others and to serve the shepherd who leads you. Listen to the counsel and the words of the psalmist when he says, in vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for God grants sleep to those he loves. (coughs) Friends, whether you rethink the order and sequence of how you view your day, I encourage you to divert daily. Create some space. Create a daily rhythm for rest and renewal. Provide space for God, your shepherd, to step in and restore your soul. Second, we need to withdraw weekly. Withdraw weekly. This rhythm is also woven right into the fabric of creation right from the very beginning. Our God rested on the seventh day and He modeled Sabbath for us not as a burden but as a It's a gift, a gift that provides space for friends and family and rest and for worship and for recreation and restoration of our souls. But if we're not careful, our pace of life blows through every seven days so fast that they all end up looking the same one right after another, no break for Sabbath and rest. A.W. Pink wrote these words. He said, A Sabbath well spent brings a week of content and strength for the toil of the morrow. But a Sabbath profaned, whate'er be gained, is a certain forerunner of sorrow. And I have learned this lesson the hard way. So I encourage you, pick one day each week. Set it aside for restorative pursuits, for friends, for family, for faith, for fun, for freshening that comes from rest. Enjoy the Sabbath. Let it restore you as the shepherd works in your soul. Thirdly, we need to quit quarterly. Quit quarterly. We have four seasons, right, that remind us of quarterly rhythms that take place in all of life. The Israelites, God's people that were following after their shepherd, they stopped their normal lives seasonally to celebrate festivals, to worship and spend time together with family and friends, to create space every quarter so that God could work in their lives. And so this past September, as part of my time away, I recommitted to a quarterly rhythm of retreat. And this time of retreat is to to rest and to quiet my soul and to allow God to work in me. And I know that that is essential if God is going to regularly restore and transform my life and my soul. So what? what is it for you? What quarterly rhythms would create space for God to do His work in your soul to, to lead you beside quiet waters? Could you take a day or a day and a half each quarter to just stop all that you're doing and give God your full and undivided attention? Fourth. Finally, we need to abandon annually. Abandon annually. Take a vacation for God's sake, for your own sake. Do you know that Americans are leaving vacation days on the table like never before in all of history? We basically work for free one entire week out of every year. You know this decline is not just tied to economic worries. Use of vacation days are at their lowest point in the past four decades. The studies have shown when we abandon annually and take our vacations, we're simply healthier, more productive people. Abandon annually. Create some space every year that God can step in and do a restorative work and you can be refreshed. So today, do you sense your shepherd leading you towards some quiet waters? Maybe you know right now you can... Feel that the shepherd needs to step in and make you lie down. Do you sense him leading you to some renewed rhythms in your life? Well, in these moments, I just encourage you to take a deep breath. Maybe let's close our eyes. And I want to read some words from our Shepherd Jesus that are found in Matthew chapter 11 in the message. Let these words speak to your souls. Are you tired? Oh, Jesus, would you help us discover these unforced rhythms of grace? Shepherd, would you bring them into our lives and restore our souls? And gentle Shepherd, we pray that you would come and lead us. Thank you for restoring us. And oh, Jesus, thank you so much for how much you love us. Amen. Amen.